I haven't done that on Zoom for a while. <laughs> With you guys now, I feel like I'm in a call for work. I've been doing Zooms, like, I think for eight hours yesterday. Oh, really? Thank you for uh, providing me with some escapism. <laughs> Alex meet Alex is going to be a very confusing episode because I don't know how, I, so probably what I'm going to do, so I can call you Ian, I can call you Hunter, or I can call you <laughs> Alexandra. So I'm going to probably call you Alexandra because... That's right. Yeah, just for the purpose of this show, however, guys, she's named Alex. So it's Alex and Alex. Alex and Alex. And finally, we also are doing something that we are very bad at. We have uh, someone from a different gender on the show. <laughs> this is true. We have not been good about this. Yeah, you guys need some diversity. Yes, yes, yes. This is absolutely true. So, uh... Yeah, saying that, I still need to run the usual things that I've not prepared. So talk to each other for a minute. I just spent 30 seconds trying to find my mouse, like, on the screen. I'm like, I don't, I can't find the mouse to, to <laughs> I, I can't, where is it? And I was using my wrong mouse. So that's the kind of day I'm having. So I think this will be very appropriate. I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. Yeah, we need mm -hmm. a lot of luck for this uh, recording. So hello, everyone. <laughs> As you realized, we have a guest. We have a guest. We have a guest. We're very happy. Uh, there's two reasons for which I'm very happy. Uh, first is very, uh, it's not in the right order. The second is most important. First is, is, is very um, important to me is that I have so much work that I have no time to do any notes. And this is a perfect show for me because I didn't have to prepare anything. We just talked like, this is what we're going to talk about. Let's figure it out the day of the show. And this is what I'm doing. So thank you for allowing me to do this. And second, and maybe the most important, as I just stated, is the fact that Alex, Alexandra, uh, you've heard her name, probably more her handle, Avi Alex, since probably almost the beginning of the show. And I had made a promise to her. We had made a promise to her that she would be one day a guest. She had to wait episode 133 basically for five years to be on the show so to see how well organized we are so welcome alexandra it wasn't five years really yeah exactly i know i know you you, yeah. you can you can criticize me as much as you want during the show i won't i won't edit that out can you maybe um i need to run the music first for again can i and then we'll do this hold on see i'm, I'm completely off my because we're recording that on zoom by the way guys it's also very different so i had to reroute some sound to make this happen correctly let's go So, Alexandra, I'm going to call you Alexandra. It's going to be less confusing. Otherwise, every time I'm going to say Alex, I can see the two of you looking at me. Who is he talking to? Uh, so, <laughs> Alexandra, can you introduce yourself? No. <laughs> Alexandra, can you please introduce yourself to uh, our audience and us, actually? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so, my name is Alex and my handle actually is Avix Alex, not Avi Alex. <laughs> so, I've been saying it wrong all the time, basically. We're like, forever. <laughs> If you really, really want to make it here, you have to be persistent. So don't give up. I didn't give up, and so I'm here. Uh, my, my name is Alex. I work in uh, in aviation and travel uh, for the past uh, almost four and a half uh, years. I spent at the major uh, GDS, uh, leading one of the um, solutions uh, sales. And I'm a big aviation geek. I do a lot of um, LinkedIn activity. I do post a lot about my trips. So, you know, I had this few years ago, I had this uh, dream of becoming a travel blogger. 
I tried Instagram. I didn't get uh, more than 150 followers. So I gave up on it. <laughs> and actually, I focused on LinkedIn and that's where I found my sweet spot. I really enjoy the audience and um, basically the narrative of, uh, of conversation there. So yeah, my, my, my entire life is about, uh, yeah, and yeah, people cannot see this uh, t-shirt, but they have, uh, that's awesome. This headline of my life it says jet lagged AF Alex Hunter this time. We should have, we should have had this, uh, for a long time, actually. Right. Yeah. It's a permanent <laughs> state of mind at this point. <laughs> the other reason, the other reason we wanted to invite you, and this is how it came to be for this time is that, uh, we said in a previous episode that, um, Alex Hunter, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into the groove of saying the right Alex at some point in this show. Uh, Alex has been going to Berlin. Uh, at a new Berlin airport, which has been a, a running joke of this show until basically it opened. Uh, we stopped talking about it the day it opened, basically, which is a bit sad. But and you are you know this airport so very well because I think you are usually based in Berlin. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I live, I live in, in Germany in Berlin. Uh, currently, we are recording. I'm sitting in Almaty. That's where I was born. But actually, I left when I was 18. So uh, most of my adult life, I lived somewhere else. And past 10 years, I lived in Berlin. So I seen not the entire process of the construction, but I seen some of it. And uh, yeah, it is, it is a story to me. The most extraordinary saga. And, and you just said Almaty. So I was sur sure that I would actually named this episode Berlin, but then you told me you would be in Almaty and this is the name of the show simply because I don't think, I mean, the chances of Alex and I going to Almaty are way lower than going to Berlin. And we will talk obviously about this new Berlin because I want to hear Alex Hunter and Alexandra telling us all about it. But to be frank, um, uh, the chances are that we're not going to hit Almaty. I've been close. We've both been to Astana. By the way, the, the, the city is back to being named Astana. It was a big thing. It was Nur Sultan, and I think now it's back to be Astana. So I can say that safely now. Uh, we've been both to Astana for, for work. I might actually return uh, pretty soon. But Almaty seems always like it's just there, but we haven't quite reached it. So um, we, we will want to hear about the airport but that'll, that'll come uh, a bit later maybe maybe you know what let's let's put it out so it's done so we get into the groove let's talk about berlin so maybe i'm going to ask first alex hunter my dear friend which sits on zoom on my left right now uh if you can tell us about the i mean you can tell us about the flight if you want but tell us about your experience there um going back and forth and how was the new Berlin compared to both Tegel and um, what's the, what's the name Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld, and also I mean maybe also the old one which sits in the middle of the city. No, we haven't we haven't been to that one. We can only run and do uh, marathons or runs on the on the on the tarmac. Can you tell us a little bit more about that airport and if you liked it, and then we'll see if that yeah, matches yeah. Alexandra's description and thoughts. Yeah, so I was there a couple of months ago, six six weeks ago, very very briefly in Berlin for for work and. I have been on Tempelhof runway and I love that I can say that, that I have walked around on the runway with all the people with their hiking sticks and everything like that. It's, I assume it remains open to the public, which is, which is wonderful. Correct me if I'm wrong, Alexandra, but I believe that the future of that airport was put to the people of Berlin in a vote and they all decided that it should become 
an open space, uh, which I think is just, just a wonderful thing, uh, because the buildings themselves have been preserved to an extent. I think there was a lot of startups in there when, when I was there six or seven years ago, but yeah, it's great. I flew from Lucy. We all know how I feel about Lucy, uh, to Berlin <laughs> on, uh, a city flyer. And I, you know, that experience is fine. We don't need to get into the, to the nuts and bolts of that. They remain my most favorite BA subsidiary. I suppose they're a subsidiary, aren't yeah. they? Even though they're might as well be BA. I think they're the most consistent. I think that the food has always been good. I think the experience has been good. I love London City Airport. I've made peace with the fact they put up a monolith in front of the windows <laughs> uh, because of the rest of that construction project has actually made the broader airport experience a lot more satisfying, a lot crisper, a lot cleaner. There's more amenities. What was interesting, and I was messaging Paul when this happened, when I went through security, it was very quiet, but they made you walk all the way to the end of the security hole and back again and back again and back again. Four times, all the way to the very end and back again. Why? And I, well, this is an interesting thing. I, I kept passing the same guy. You know, as I was going on the upstream, he was coming on the downstream. And by the time we got on like the fourth lap, we were just laughing with each other because how ridiculous it was. Everybody was going through one channel and they have, as we've discussed in the past, they've replaced all of the antiquated security screening systems with these new ones where you don't have to remove anything, liquids, devices, it all stays in. And then everybody had to go through the the human x-ray machines, the particle scatter devices, everybody had to do it. And then when you collected your bags, there was another screening where there was three or four plain clothes security officers flagging people, probably every, this will become more obvious when I explain the reason. It was every male between the ages of 15 and 45. Anybody else was waded through, but you were, you were flagged and these plainclothes police officers were asking some pretty rigorous questions. How long have you been here? Where are you going? Why are you going there? Blah, 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 blah. And I thought this is, and throughout the airport, pre-security, post-security, there was armed police, uh, which are not uncommon at British airports, but at Sydney with this level, Paul's just clocked out what's happened yes. at this level of engagement is rare. And it took me until getting to Berlin to realize that this was the day where the guy had escaped from Wandsworth Prison in London. Next to me. And you, Paul, were trying to get through. No, no, maybe. Were you trying yeah, to first, get through? First, uh, first, first wing in Arithro. So they had basically closed all of these or made pinch points, essentially, at every train station airport within 50 miles of London to try and catch this guy. Turns out they caught him on a canal towpath about three miles from the prison the next day. Two days yeah, later. two anyway, days later. Yeah, but it it was an interesting observation uh, to experience. I, I'd never I'd never really seen anything like that before. The flight was was uneventful. Again, I like the A fly very much. I like the E one ninety very much. I still think that's a really comfortable, fun airplane. The takeoff from the city never, ever, 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 ever gets old. Just throw the throttle on and you're out of there. Very easy flight to Berlin. Landing at Berlin, you realize just how busy an airport that is. So much regional traffic just going in and out of there constantly. We had a gate, which I was actually not fully expecting because I, I wasn't sure what the capacity was. I wasn't, wasn't sure 
if Chief BA had paid the uh, premium to get us a gate instead of making us walk up the buses. But sure enough, they had. We we arrived. And this is where we had the first snafu. Because you go into the immigration hall and there were a couple of flights that had arrived before us from Turkey, Turkish cities, and one from, from Qatar. And there were two immigration officers available for this. And it was not, it was not a staggering amounts of people. It was maybe, I don't know, 120 people in the queue. And you think for an, you know, an, an international airport like that, this is what I expect. This is not anomalous in any way, shape or size. Of course, I'm glancing enviously at the uh, European Union passport lines, cursing Brexit and all of that. <laughs> but just thinking, you know, we'll get through this eventually. Time ticks by, time ticks by, time ticks by, more and more and more and more. An hour and a half later, and we're not really any closer to the front of the queue. I can't remember what the circumstances were, but something had transpired where people from Turkey needed to produce a lot more documentation than they were ordinarily required to do to get into to either the European Union or Germany specifically. There had been some change in status or, 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 or a new visa requirement had just come into effect and people were scrambling to find the necessary documents to prove that they were eligible to come into the country, which is not really anybody's fault, but it just, it made the process. I was not in a hurry at all. I was not trying to connect. I was, I, I didn't have an appointment until much, much later in the day, but it was slow. There was only two people. Eventually another person arrived only to relieve another, you know, somebody that had already been serving. So it wasn't like they were adding additional capacity. I was very sanguine about it. There's literally nothing one can do, but the four elderly American ladies behind me, this was the most egregious thing that had ever happened to anybody in all of human history. And I got the full <laughs> color commentary in my ear and participated. I don't, there was a point where I, I took, you know, a great deal of amusement from this and wanted to basically egg them on, get them angrier and angrier just to see what would happen. Because they had no filter. They were just saying whatever came into their head. It was like being trapped in a Golden Girls episode. <laughs> I didn't have the opportunity to try the um, public transport links, but I know that they are comprehensive as they were at, uh, at Chantal Tegel as well. It was pretty easy to get into town because there were various rail options available, the fast, the slow, everything in between. And I had a car waiting for me because I'm incredibly important. I paid for an Uber. Uh, <laughs> and I went into town. The thing that struck me about coming back through that airport is I kept looking for what could have caused the delay. Is there an over complexity here? What, what, what would have caused years and years and years of delays? Is it, you know, is there a fancy check-in system? Is the uh, looking at the baggage process is that is out of the ordinary? Is there anything that I can see around me in this airport as I go through the boarding process that I can go, I bet that was it. And I, you know, I'm looking at this with incredibly amateur eyes. I don't know anything about architecture other than I can appreciate the beauty of it, but there wasn't anything immediately obvious. There wasn't any, you know, mind blowing tech for security screening that we haven't seen at other airports. I, I could not, the monitor system, was there anything there? Nothing obvious. It was a perfectly pleasant airport. From a departure perspective, it was light and it was airy and it was clean. 
it is what I would expect from an airport in Western Northern Europe. I couldn't see any reason why it would happen. So I kind of like stopped looking because it wasn't, I wasn't obvious as much as I wanted to scrutinize the experience to try and make sense of why we'd been waiting for six or seven years. More. Yeah. I, I, just, I was just thinking that as I said it, I guess more than that, I could not for the life of me figure it out. It is a good airport. It was a, it was a, you, you come through a security and you, you go through a sort of a river of duty free if you would to cross this river and I participated because there was some unusual circuit, uh, unusual offerings there. And you come out into this, I don't even know what you would describe it, like this uh, rotunda almost, this big multi-level rotunda. And you have to decide if you need to go left or right to get to your particular pier of gate. But the amenities and the shopping experience were considered and deep enough for me to have a wonder. It's, it wasn't the usual crap, I guess that's what I'm saying. It wasn't the sort of the Hudson and the WH Smith and the boots, which, you know, they're great in and of themselves. But there was like a Lufthansa store, which immediately I clocked. I was like, oh, airplane swag, beeline for that thing. I was like, oh, there's some cool stuff here. Lots of upcycled airplane seats and, and life jacket stuff. They turned into carrier bags and all that stuff. And but the thing I sent Paul immediately was they have like a partnership between Adidas and Lufthansa. Sneakers. Adidas sneakers. With the Lufthansa logo, they're blue. The traders are blue. White Lufthansa logo. I want to say orange laces or the Lufthansa yellow laces. I was like, if I buy these, I'm probably going to get divorced. But they look so cool. They looked really, really <laughs> neat. So I was just impressed with like what was available. They have this elevated food court. Incredibly, there are still sections of it which are under construction. So I would say three quarters of the food offerings were open and some still had signs saying coming soon uh, above them. But it was a diverse and interesting representation of not just international cuisine, but also not just German cuisine, but also Berlin cuisine. So there were institutions that you would recognize from the streets of Berlin that were then available in the airport too, which I thought was a nice and often neglected touch in airports. Kebab as well? Yep. Good. And donor kebab. Exactly. I was actually going to mention that. It's funny, you, 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 that was the first thing that sprang to your mind because it was mine too. I had had one the night before <laughs> in <laughs> Berlin proper, so I didn't need to double dip. But yes, and I, I think that I liked that touch. I thought it was, a, it, was a, it was a good touch. Amazing. I love it. And Having kebab in an airport. It, yeah, me too. Me perfect. too. And I, I, yeah. And to have it as like your last play, it was great. Ed Parsons told, I, mean, I can't remember if he, he messaged us on Twitter, if he DM'd me, but he said, there's an interesting twist at the new Berlin airport from the lounges. You, you'll see when you get there. And I was like, well, now I have to go. And the two lounges are named after, there's the, the third party lounges, there's Tempelhof and Schoenfeld, right, Alexander? I know Tempelhof is one. Tegel. Tegel. Tempelhof and Tegel, yeah. A nice touch. A, ni a nice AV geek touch to reference these two airports. They're at opposite ends of the air of the terminal, and Tempelhof was the one that was most suited to my departure gate. So I went in in there, and it's up. Yeah, you go up these stairs and into the lounge. I liked it. I liked it very much. It's a bright, open, almost to a fault because it was really warm that day, but it felt modern and new, which one would hope it would. Uh, <laughs> floor to ceiling windows, a, a d double height, so two two floors. Floor to ceiling windows. 
in the corner overlooking the, the runway. So, I mean, what more could you ask for from a, from a AV Geeks lounge perspective? Lots and lots of seats of all manners. So you, you know, four seaters and single seaters and these little private kind of, I wouldn't say there were sleeping booths, but they were a lot more enclosed um, for privacy. The food was in, was in a buffet style and it was very pleasant food, very interesting food, salad bars. It all, it all felt really, really fresh. Of course, there was a beer tap <laughs> with steins and you can help yourself to, to some lovely German beer. And then around the, the kind of backside, there was a, a lot of obviously working areas. So lots of, um, guest type setups. So it was a really, really good laugh. But what made it interesting was you could scan your boarding pass and the back door of the lounge would open and then you would go through passport control right from the lounge for non-Schengen departures. That's the best part of it, actually. Isn't it clever? That's the little twist that Ed was referring to. It is such a good idea to have that because you always have a sense of doom when you're coming back to England or you the UK from Europe. I'm going to have to go to the, to Mordor, essentially the Mordor ter- part of the terminal for us <laughs> non-Schengen users. And there's like a dilapidated coffee shop and no bathroom, you know, and you can yeah, be there for, for 45 minutes or four hours. This was such an elegant solution to that quandary. And I really admire them for doing that. And our, you know, my BA flight back, uh, was, was reasonably on time that bit of the terminal post passport control was almost deserted. There was hardly anybody there, which actually was rather pleasant because it was an evening. The light was pouring in to the terminal from those windows I was describing earlier, kind of bathing everything in this gold. That part, from a, a lighting perspective and a warmth and comfort perspective, they've done a phenomenal job. The whole place feels cozy in the best possible way. And I, I admire them for that. So I'm still trying to figure out what the hell the problem was to begin with, but I think the end product, our little immigration snafu, pretty, pretty freaking good. And, you know, within my limited experience. So I was glad I finally got to experience it. Might be the only airport in the world that I've been to before Paul. So I, I take a great deal of pride in that, but I, you know, I was impressed. I was genuinely impressed by the whole, the whole thing. Before I let you talk, uh, Alexandra, just for those who have no, because we have an audience worldwide, uh, Berlin, the new Berlin Brandenburg Airport is built basically where Schoenfeld is, which is why they do not reference probably at to Schoenfeld as the two lounges, mm-hmm. because it was built next door and over it, right? So it's uh, they use the same runway that the previous Schoenfeld. But I'll let you speak, Alexandra, and tell us if Alex's experience is correct, as in, is it a rather good airport or do you do you find it a an upgrade from your previous experiences i know that a lot of berliner a lot of friends of mine who live there regret the disappearance of tegel because he was so close to the city this is the one i yes. used to use all the time i've actually been i think schoenfeld only once and i didn't like it whereas tegel was quirky and bizarre we covered it in one episode in the past but it was very close so do you think it's an upgrade for berlin i think alex described it uh pretty well um even upgrade i'm not sure i loved it so much i loved it i still love it when i moved to berlin i actually rented the flat it was literally three stops on the bus from tegel because i paid so much that it makes sense for me 
And it was anyway very close to the city. So it was still like on the edge of city center, but I lived so close to the airport. It took me like, I counted once, it took me eight minutes door to door. That was just so small, cozy, cute. I don't know. I love it, love it, love it. It's not the best for sure. It has some, some really uh, down, for example, uh, you go to a lounge and then you have to go through all the controls. So actually, all the lounges, they were outside of security. Yeah. So you are sitting in a lounge and then, you know, you are always looking at your watch and thinking, evaluating oh, how much it's going to take, how much time it's going to take to go through security today. Or if it's a flight is delayed, you know, and you already are there and you are sitting, you cannot go back to, to the lounge. But it was just, I think it's just a very special airport. The way also that it, it was built, it's like, um, it's like a circle basically. Yeah. And then you have all the gates. So you can, you can actually make circles there. You can walk like it's amazing. Berlin airport, it is nice. It's well structured. I feel it functions, but I also don't understand why it took so long to build it. And clearly it was built to a capacity of like they planned to open it 10 years ago, right? So it was built to that capacity. I don't think that now it's still big enough because gates are not enough. Sometimes you really have to be on the bus. You would think that, you know, they took so much time to build it. It has to be built to a current capacity, which I don't think so. Uh, in terms of public transportation, Alex, I can comment on that. When it works, it works really well. But public transport in Germany, uh, it's like weather, you know, it can be sunny, it can be rainy. So is German public transportation. <laughs> you never know. Sometimes it takes like 30 minutes to get to the airport. Sometimes it takes like two hours. And what they really love to do, you get on this um, express train from the airport. And it's just stops in the middle of a field or forest and just stays there for like sometimes five minutes, sometimes 30 minutes. It could be an hour <laughs> and you can do anything because you cannot get out. And that's the part that drives me nuts. Um, but apart from that, I mean, it's okay. It's not taken, but it works. That's what I would say. Yeah. At least it's not shown film. I hated that airport. Seanfeld is horrible. It's horrible. So when Seanfeld and Tegel used to be two airports of Berlin, I, on purpose, I almost never book a flight from Seanfeld because I hated it so much. And sometimes it would be much, much cheaper, but I would take a hit and I would think, oh my God, but like, it's like hundred year difference. But I really, I just hated Seanfeld so much. It, it felt like a bus. Station, like, <laughs> but but not a good bus station, but the, like a pretty horrible bus station. But so to make clear, Tegel is closed, Schoenfeld is closed, right? They're, yeah, they completely are. They is that a case like T1 at Heathrow that they're closed, but they're still there and going to stay forever? Or are they tearing them down? Are they making like apartments or something? Do you know? So what I heard is that Tegel uh, Air. Actually, they started construction of some apartment uh, buildings, some offices, 
Um, I think it's, it, will, it will also be some co-working space. The, there may be a small park or something. It will be open to public, right? Uh, um, Schoenfeld, until very recently, it was it was closed, but I still heard rumors that it will be operated as T5, um, they called it, uh, of Berlin Airport. But I think recently they shut it down completely because basically between Berlin T1 and T2, the main Berlin and Schoenfeld, the one that they wanted to make a T5, you still have to take a public transport. So it will be like 10 minutes on the Enzban, on, on the train. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Ethro is basically like that because you cannot really transfer easily from <laughs> terminals to terminal. I mean, T5 is like on the other side. Let's not talk about Madrid uh, T4S. Which have been last week too. Uh, that's going to be for another reason. <laughs> but no. I, but I mean, if you just said that they have uh, built for a, capa a calculated capacity during planning that was probably made twenty-five years ago, opened supposedly ten years ago, twelve years ago, maybe having Schoenfeld as an overflow could potentially make sense, or as a low-cost terminal could also make sense. Well, they would, uh, Paul. I'm sorry, but they would need to move entire operation then to Tifa. Or Schoenfeld, because Berlin, we are, well, as Berliners like to say, we are poor but sexy. So actually, mostly, I don't know, Paul, if you notice, but mostly it's EasyJet, Ryanair, and all the other low-cost carriers. We have the transit line uh, to Berlin, BA KLM, connecting traffic. But like long-haul flights, you, yeah. we only have Qatar, uh, we only have United, uh, one flight a day and Delta, and that's pretty much it. So yeah. where, like, no matter where I fly, I always connect. It's either Zurich, yeah. Amsterdam, Frankfurt, which I also hate, Munich, which I love. <laughs> Somewhere, right? It's never a direct flight. So it's a very, it's not table, but it's also a very special airport. I feel in its own way. But so you said, because when I went last time to Berlin, we're talking now six years ago. So of course, pre-COVID, uh, seven years ago, it doesn't matter. I couldn't, for the life of me, find a Lufthansa flight. I had to fly Eurowings. There was no direct from London with Lufthansa. So Lufthansa, do they only, do they fly outside of Germany from Berlin or they mostly fly to Frankfurt no, and Munich for connections? No, you, you get on your Lufthansa bus to Frankfurt or Munich, the flying bus, and then you connect to the world. But otherwise, it's like, it's only, but Frankfurt and Munich, it's like, I don't know, five or six flights a day. You literally see one aircraft pulling down and one airport parking at the gate, nonstop, entire day. And they are full, always. Well, I mean, for Lufthansa, Munich and, and Frankfurt are their big connectors. I think Dusseldorf a little bit, but, the Lufthansa, but basically the two big ones are, are, are Munich and Frankfurt. Like you, you have good taste. You prefer Munich. I love Munich. And well, Frankfurt is another story. For <laughs> so um, is there like a, a part of the world you usually fly to or come to from when you say you always have to connect? Because you mentioned, for instance, uh, Amsterdam. Did you have to connect to Amsterdam to go to Almaty, for instance? Or is how did you do that? Well, almost anywhere outside of Europe, I would need to connect, but also within Europe. So, for example, before Almaty, I spent a week in Baku. I had to go to Frankfurt first, and then I get on Lufthansa and fly to Baku. My previous trip was to the U.S., and of course, then 
Then I actually have taken a train to Amsterdam to get on JetBlue's flight from Amsterdam to to JFK. Oh, actually, I forgot Lisbon. And Lisbon, I also taken a flight from Amsterdam, Transavia flight, and I got on the train as well from Berlin to Amsterdam and then taking flight. It's almost never direct, like almost. And even if it's direct, to be honest, it makes so much more sense to do what I do, to get on the train, to go to Amsterdam or to go to Frankfurt, because it's very expensive. All the direct flights out of Berlin are very expensive. I don't get that. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it's a capital, but I suppose it's I, a little bit like Washington, D.C., isn't it? I mean, if you think about Washington, D.C. compared to New York in terms of connectivity internationally, I mean, it's night and day, but I still can't wrap my head around why Berlin is so poorly connected internationally. It never works. So once I flew on north from LA to Berlin, and I was so lucky because they literally operated that flight, I think, for two weeks. And I was lucky to be on one of those flights because then they canceled it. It didn't work out for them. So I was thinking, okay, finally, at least for a really nice direct flight to LA. Wow, amazing. No, it only worked like uh, two weeks. And uh, I tried it. I was like, now I'm only flying north to LA, but never happened. In France, back in the days, they tried a few times starting direct service to, to New York, for example. Again, a few months, after a few months, they cancel it. That's so strange. Yeah, I'm sure there's a million reasons why, but, you know, population density, I don't, I don't know, but. Most probably because Berlin was behind the wall for so long, so it was not the capital. And so even though they named, like, I think your, your analogy with Washington, D.C., although not completely, but it's pretty apt because it's a political center, but it's not an economical center. As in uh, poor, but yeah. how do you say that? You're, you're, you're poor, but sexy. <laughs> Probably this. That's what Berliners say. Yeah, we are poor, but sexy. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that. But I still want to go because honestly, what you just described, then we'll move on from Berlin. But what you just described, Alex and Alex, about this system of having passport right out from the lounge is extremely clever. You also mentioned, Alex, the Mordor, you know, like this feeling of having to go to a place where this. It happened like, I don't, I don't think I said it in a previous episode. I just remember the, the last uh, three Italian airports I mentioned in the previous episode was exactly that. Post-passport control, you were like in no man's land. There was like five chairs dating from the 1950s and everybody standing, hoping that the flight is actually uh, boarding on time. So that, that experience... For those who haven't been to Europe, it's very prevalent if you, as long as you're within Schengen, usually it's cool if you fly within Europe. As soon as you're outside of Schengen, it's often like a complete disaster. <laughs> so I love that. I love that idea from the, from the lounge directly to the, yeah. Because that was, I agree with you, Alexandra, uh, that uh, at Tegel, this, uh, having the lounges, Basically, they were like, like you said, they were outside. I was like, but how does that make sense for them to, and some, I remember some of the lounges were not even very close to where we're supposed to go. They were just, well, the lounge is here and then you will have to walk. It was not a, such a big airport. You can add a little bit of, of, of stress, but I'm still looking forward. Guys, if any one of you has been to Berlin, uh, the new one, and has something to say, as you always, you can simply hit us up. Uh, do you like it? Don't you? It's 
probably like, listening to you guys, you two, I'm not going to hit it as much as, as Frankfurt. I'm probably going to be in the middle between Frankfurt and Munich, which is a good thing. <laughs> so, I, uh, I can't wait to, to try it. However, you mentioned, so you mentioned you fly, and because this is another topic we wanted to cover, we'll go to Almaty, guys. This is near, probably near the end of the episode, but you, you, you flew a lot of different airlines. Um, we'll come, we'll come to that jet, to your JetBlue experience because we want to hear about that, obviously, because it was a very special flight. You let us know afterwards. However, we know that you've been, and you'll have to describe to us recently to Condor, which is a, an, an, an airline which both of us, at least I have this admiration. I love the design. I love the logo, which is very reminiscent of Lufthansa, but it's not. Yeah. I love the font they're using. I love it's very kind of um, confident. The, the business class uh, images I've seen are really cool. The new business class, I think of 330, if I'm not mistaken, they look like, um, like modern maybe Turkish airline would be something similar uh, or 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 SAS and um, the, the, it's an airline that looks amazing but if you don't live in Germany it's probably not an airline you're gonna you're gonna use and it seems to have gone up market over the last 15 years to being now almost a competitor to uh, Lufthansa no they don't have the same business model there's the beer we want to hear about because you told us about a beer that is in there and the situation with overhead bins, because that will open the door to a mega rent of Alex afterwards. So maybe, um, can you tell us about Condor, basically? How does it, do you fly it often? Was it a one shot? Do you like it? I don't fly too often, but in the beginning of the year, I flew to Toronto in their new um, business class product, 330 Neo. Um, it was plain in stripes and I love those planes the new livery is you know first i i hated it when i when i first seen it i thought oh my god it looks so bad like it looks so cheap and tasteless but then it ruined me now i'm the biggest fan of this livery like i i, I literally cannot miss the plane like taking a picture of it and whenever my friends are <laughs> traveling i ask them to take a picture for me because i love it so much so i flew to toronto uh, on their 330 in business, it was amazing. It is uh, one to one. I'm not sure if it's one to one or they just have strong seats, but I think it's one to one. Every every window seat uh, is one uh, seat, um, and and to be honest, it's it's a so much better product than Lufthansa. So like uh, <laughs> you, you, you you yeah you you think Condor historically is more like a leisure carrier. Yeah. It's uh, it's more like considered low cost, uh, and then Lufthansa is a full service carrier, very premium. But the current business class, I mean, you still get on on their business. Business, it's two two two, right? You don't have direct yeah. access from every seat, and I feel it's it's outdated. Yeah, let's see what how the new Allegris will be. But Condor's new product is amazing. And recently I flew, it was a short slide, but I am a true aviation geek. So I was in Lisbon at the, at the World Aviation Festival and I had to fly back to Berlin. Uh, but of course, I like to make a little detour and experience different airline products. So I flew from Lisbon to Nice with EasyJet to get on a flight from Nice to Dusseldorf on Condor. And I was hoping that I will be on that stride plane. 
I was taking a flight radar and every day it was all memory. But I was still hoping that on that day of my flight, it will be the new livery. And it was, it was amazing. It was actually the same livery that I sent you probably the beer can, the blue dogs collab. I think they, they called this color sand yellow or something like that so it was amazing the plane was that color and then i've got on the plane and thanks god i didn't upgrade myself to business i, I was booked in economy and i checked that upgrade was quite reasonable and i'm thinking ah should i upgrade or not then i wanted to try this beam access and i thought okay i need to be in economy and beam access we'll talk about it later so I thought, okay, I, I stay in economy and thanks God I didn't upgrade because the flight was maybe 50% full, maybe even less. So I had the entire role for myself. Was uh, It was really good. And I actually don't even like beer. I'm a wine person. But of course, I got myself a can and, you know, they asked, you only want wine? So like already <laughs> suggesting that you want more. <laughs> and I thought, and the moment that I seen that they don't open it right there, I said, okay, yeah, of course I need more than, you know, I can take it to Berlin and, uh, you know, just look at it or enjoy it whenever I feel like I'm having a beer. So I've got like three cans and then I've taken so many pictures and I, I mean, the crew was just looking at me like, oh my God, this girl is so strange she's got three cans and she's just taking pictures but not even drinking it um so <laughs> the flight was uh, was very it's a very nice uneventful good uh the thing that i that really struck me is this beam access so before we before we get there is the beer good i don't know i i tell you i i i don't even like beer i think it was nice that was fine. Alex, we need to we need to go on a condor to try because yeah. Brudog did Speedbird. I was just thinking the same thing. Right? So we need to have comparisons. We Brudog seems to be like on a thing now, right? They're gonna be in all Yeah, they found their niche, they were doing these collabs with with airlines. And I would have done exactly the same thing, Alexander. I would have in fact somewhere behind me is a unopened Betsy beer from Cathay Pacific from when they did that years and years ago. I did 100% do the same thing. <laughs> I, I only kept the cup holder. I don't have to. Is it Betsy 1.0? Not the new one you have, I think. Yeah. Betsy 1.0, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The first. Uh, so, yeah, the, the bin, so, because that's going to open a can of worms. Um, I'm only already warning the, only running the audience because I know that Alex, our Alex, my Alex, has um, a bit of a rant, or at least thoughts and opinions on unbundling. On For those who listened to the episode last time, he quickly, briefly mentioned Wiz, which was uneventful, but he said that the whole thing about, you know, trying to upsell you every single thing, every single bolt in, a, in an airplane was... And that bin excess is interesting, because when you told me a little bit about it, it was like, what? So, Alexandra, please explain the whole story about the excess, and then we'll go into the the rant, I guess. Go ahead. <laughs> so, actually, I was listening to your previous episode when I was in Dusseldorf, where I just landed with Condor to Dusseldorf, and I was listening to your uh, latest episode where Alex was talking about unbundling and how he... It's thinking that airlines taking it to some airlines taking it to like extreme. 
And I completely agree. So with Condor, it is something that I never seen with any other airline. You can buy a cabin bag for nine euro, nine something, I think. So basically you can take your small bag on board. That's fine. I've seen that with many airlines. But what I, what I haven't seen before is that you can book a beam and not any beam, a specific beam. So basically when you, <laughs> I see your race, Alex. So basically when you pay for your bag, they ask you, how oh, do you want to secure um, a beam? And if you're saying yes, then on the maps, you can select your seat, but you can also select beam that you want to reserve for yourself. And so what I've done, because I wanted to run a little experiment, you know, I, I was sitting on 3A and I selected a beam 7F, which is, which is quite far from my 3A. So I would have to go there. Right. And I did it on purpose because I didn't know that it was going to be like such an empty flight. I was thinking how crew will manage it if it's a full flight, what they're going to do. And I, I was actually planning to put my bag somewhere else and see if, you know, uh, someone will tell me that I actually have to put my bag where it was supposed to be. And on my boarding pass, I had seat number and I had beam number. It was so weird. Like I never seen that before. I got on board and of course it was empty. Um, yeah, so they didn't care, yeah. I put my back just above my seat, uh, but I did actually go and check my beam. And I noticed that something is already there. Clearly, someone didn't know, you know, that I reserved that beam. So I just looked at it. I made a picture because then I did a little post on LinkedIn about that. Uh, and I went back to my seat. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't really observe how the crew would, you know, interact or react. If it was a full flight, that would be very interesting to see. And also, I don't think it's super clear in terms of which beans are reserved to be reserved and which beans are not. Because in the beginning of the, of, of the cabin, uh, business class beans, they say, Reserved for business class passengers. I was in 3A, but I was in economy because it's Euro economy, uh, Euro business, right? So they are moving. So I think like it can be one row business. It can be seven rows of business, right? So I think first, uh, let's say four rows are reserved for business. And then from row four, I believe only on one side, there are beans that can be reserved and on the other side, there are just beans for everyone. That's my assumption. That's what I was able to <laughs> to, to notice on that on that slide. Yeah. But, I mean, operationally, because imagine I've seen, and then I let Alex have his rant because I'm sure it's going to be grand, and I want to listen to it. But <laughs> I'm just thinking first at the added complexity. I mean, there's one thing about booking your bin. We can discuss that, but the added complexity for the staff having to deal with that, and also. There's a natural almost, not for everyone, but we see that every time we board a plane. You can see that people tend to want to, sometimes they put their bag and they keep on walking, right? So they, because they say, I'm going to grab it on the way, um, on the way out of the, 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 the plane. Fine. I'm not saying we should do that. I prefer that everybody has their thing over their own seats. However, if you allow people to book, wouldn't that mean that, like, let's say I have a seat in 35A. 
and I'm going to book seven, whatever the name of the bins, in the front because I'm like, so then I can simply exit and just grab my bag. However, then it means that if I am at 7C, that, that seat 7C, and somebody already booked the bin above me, then maybe I will have to book 35, row 35, which means it creates like a bottleneck boarding and deplaning because everybody plays Tetris is where, and then adding the stress, not only for the passenger, but for the staff, because they're like, which bin, I mean, you said they're not clearly marked, but let's say they were to be clearly marked for by some system, whatever. It's a nightmare. And it's more argument that people all say, no, no, but I reserved that part of the bin and the bin, you know, from the 31st centimeters of the bin is mine because I've, I, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I would say if they were to reserve the bin above your seat, which I'm still prefer not to have any of this shit, pardon my French, to have to book like for added stuff. And I'm sure Alex will touch on that. But at least make it that you book the thing that is above you and that's it. Don't allow people to book elsewhere because that just adds like a level of complexity for everyone, not especially not for the passenger, but for the staff. They'll, they'll, have, to, they'll have to basically be referees at the, uh, they already do, by the way, in certain, certain ways, referees for the passengers, where, who can do what, when, and what has paid. And I'm going to shut up because I'm sure Alex will, uh, will have a lot to say about that. <laughs> I mean, they're just fucking with us at this point, aren't they? <laughs> it's like some dystopian social experiment. Let's see how far we can push it. Alex, Alexander, I admire you so much for your commitment to the game. To have the presence of mind to go, I wonder what will happen if I put my seat here and my bag there. I mean, I would have been just so pissed off that I would have sat there with my arms folded in it. But you had the presence of mind to think, wait a minute, let's put this through its paces. What I can't understand in this particular awful thing they've concocted is how can there not have been pushback from somebody at the operational level? as you have both said, going, this is going to cause scrums, it's going to cause delays, it's going to cause, uh, you know, in, a, in the worst case scenarios, frayed tempers that our crew now have to deal with on top of everything else they've had to deal with. I, I would love to have understood the, the thinking behind that. I have no issue with ancillary revenue at all. I think it is absolutely crucial to the survival of a lot of these airlines that are providing much needed competition for the incumbent carriers in basically every country in the world. And I think when it's done well, it can allow you to just get what you need. In many cases, a seat on the airplanes to where you need to go. And if it's relatively and measurably less expensive than a full service carrier on the same route, that's exactly what this industry has needed and has always needed for, for decades. What I really get frustrated with now, and it seems to be predominantly in Europe, and I would love to hear from people who travel frequently in the US, I don't travel nearly enough domestically to know if this is still the case in the US, is this bundling of the unbundling. So you can't just <laughs> a la carte it anymore. You can't just say, I would like to pay for a seat, but I don't want to pay for a bag. I don't want to pay for the three different sizes of cabin baggage that you're now giving me the opportunity to purchase. I don't want to pay for different weights of checked baggage. I just want to buy a freaking seat and I, I'm not going to bring anything. How about that? Maybe something in my pocket. Are you going to charge me for that? 
you can't just pick this very specific things that you want anymore. And that drives me crazy. And EasyJet have done this slowly over yeah. 10 years where you used to be able to do exactly what I just described. If you want a bigger bank, you got to pay for it. If you want to speedy boarding, speedy boarding, you got to yeah. pay for it. If you want to have a, I don't even think it was more than one bag uh, in the cabinet. You need to pay for it. Fine. Or the and type of you, seats you could have, like these uh, emergency exits, exit front row. So the, yeah, they all were separated. All yeah, all were separated. All were on top of the base fare that you that you purchased. Some airlines even went as far as to having, and I think EasyJet did this actually. Uh, the first, I don't know, twelve rows of the airplane actually did have more seat, a uh, bigger seat page, and then as you went back, it was smaller. If you wanted to pay for those, you you could, and it was like. Eh more than two inches fine i get it if you want to buy wi-fi fine get it if you want to do buy on board it's a it's a per purchase decision that you as the consumer get to make now you are lost in this fog booking my flights to wherever the hell i was going um on the way so coming back from istanbul and i'm not familiar with their booking flow so that might have but it was so complicated it was so if this then that you know, if you want a seat, then you got to buy this, which includes you a bag. So I'm sitting there with a notepad going, if I get a bag for 40 euros, I also get a seat, which they would charge me 26 euros for if I bought separately. But then if Megan wants to bring a bag, then I got to add that on. I'm literally tallying it up going, which is cheaper than this. If I go by myself or get this package, there was no way for me to buy the component products that i wanted to do it and it was incredibly complicated you would select one i don't know let's call them feature and it would unbundle the other things that you had brought into your shopping cart uh as a result of uh, of doing that and by the time you had faffed around and purchased and they're all kind of confusingly named you know Speedy boarding, and, and that's not a slight on easy jet. I'm just using it as an example. Pro premium plus with bag. You've forgotten what that particular thing includes. It actually ends up being the exact same price, if not more expensive than a full service carrier. Yeah. That's on the same route in the same airplane. Yeah. Who will at least throw a bag of moldy pretzels and a bottle of water at you for your, for your pain. And will not charge you, although we'll come to that in a second, for the things that you have paid through the nose for. And so at that point, I was paying a premium to fly on with exclusively for frequency. They had a flight at a time that I needed, and, and that was it. And it's, you know, I think to an extent, if you're flying on somebody like Wiz or Ryanair, and I haven't flown on Ryanair, so I may be unfairly looping them into this. You kind of know that that's what you're going to be getting, but it has gotten to the point where it's ridiculous. And you have somebody like Southwest and the U.S. And again, American friends or people who travel frequently in the U.S., please chime in. We'll go, you get two check bags for free. No matter what, there's no seat restriction. There's no fare restriction. That is what everybody on the airplane gets because they want people's bags in the hold so they can turn those planes in 30 minutes and get the people paying for the Wi-Fi, the fast track boarding so you can get a better seat, quote unquote, better seat. 
it works because there's less baggage on the airplane. There's less faffing. It directly addresses the thing we were talking about with Condor, where you've got contra flow up and down those narrow aisles at boarding and on deplaning. They have got it figured out. They know that they can make their money elsewhere in the purchase flow and on board as well. So I cannot for the life of me figure out why we as the traveling public, especially in Europe, haven't gone enough stop taking us around. And the worst part is now the majors are going, wait a second. Yeah. The traveling public will put up with this. Let's bend them over the table and we're going to do it too. So now when you're flying in an economy fair from London to LA, for example, on BA, you're going to pay nearly a hundred pounds to book your crappy middle aisle seat if you haven't sniped it before anybody else has. I just, I, I've, I subscribe to, uh, and I promise I'm going to wrap this up in a second. It's just cathartic for me. I don't really care what anybody else thinks. I subscribe to Jack's Flight Club, the email newsletter that's really good at surfacing um, decent fares. They just did one uh, nonstop to Canada on Air Transat, 340 pounds return to Toronto. Not a bad fare. Not a bad fare at all. If you want to check a bag, 156 pounds. Might as well fly on BA, where you yeah. won't have to do that. Or at Canada, if you hate yourself, or anybody else. They're like, it's <laughs> it's getting to the point. And Air Transat, they're not, they're not a full-service carrier. They are a low-cost carrier. I get it. That's what they, this how they make their money. But the, the numbers are getting to the point where when you combine them with everything else that we have to pay in taxes and fees, it's becoming utterly, utterly ridiculous. And I can't imagine a non- savvy traveler going through the Wizz Air booking flow that I went through and not inadvertently buying something that they didn't intend to buy or probably worse, thinking that they didn't need to buy something and then getting to the airport and finding out they needed to pay double the price. We've seen it with Ryanair. You need to print your boarding pass. That's 50 pounds at the airport, please. Wizz Air do the same thing. It has to stop. It's just like this rant. It's, it's maybe the point, you know, the confusion is part maybe of the point, you know, the, you, you put a fancy name, it's a gold platinum package and yeah. you're like, okay, whatever. And you cannot really make a, a fair comparison, especially like you said, because now that uh, traditional airlines, BA, the example you just took, economy light, and I'm sometimes really confused. I'm like, because let's call it economy light, economy light in one airline is not what it is in another. So mm-hmm. like, what is the weight? And now they do like weight restrictions in the cabin or size restrictions in the cabin, weight restrictions in the hold. And I, and it, it's, it's becoming confusing. And maybe that's a part of the point, you know, to <laughs> confuse you to buy something you might actually not, not need. I hope that's not actually what they're doing. I, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that if I was, you know, responsible for the bottom line of one of these airlines, that, that, that maybe is what they're doing. It makes it, as you alluded to, Paul, you can't go on a website, a third party website and have a grid that compares the prices of all of these, uh, uh, you know, ancillary products for all of the airlines because they're, they're bundled in with other things. There's no way to pick them apart. There's no way to, to, and I'm sure that they do that on purpose. And again, just to reemphasize, I have no problem with ancillary revenue. It's the lifeline for so many of these carriers that we love. What I stole against is these, is these packaging that is deliberately designed to make you buy things you don't need, or as Paul said, confuse you into buying things you don't need. I just, I'm over it. 
Alexandra, what are your thoughts? And also lack of transparency, right? So now if you go and Google Slides and you search for a flight, you, you can see prices, but you actually will not see the final price for that slide unless you go on the website, you check whatever you need. Of course, Google is suggesting, I actually, I love Google Slides. I use it Me all too. the time. But, but it's not Google's light fault. It's it's really the, the complexity and the confusion that every airline is creating. So to really compare apples to apples, you have to go on one website, go to, to the very end of the booking process, yes. and then do the same with the other airline. If it it's very confusing and it is completely not transparent, then when I think about Condor again for, for a minute, and that, that week, I also flew Transavia from um, Amsterdam to Lisbon, and they had something similar. They had, um, uh, you don't need to book your cabin luggage. I believe it is included. It is free, which is amazing. Uh, but you can secure that you can take your bag on board for, for another 10 euros. Uh, so they say we only have limited number of bins. So uh, we have only 50 bags that you can store there. So if you want to like be sure that you can take it on board, we suggest that you buy this and it's like 10 euro. I think it's a much better product. I bought it actually also just for sake of experiment. I really wanted to see how it works. I love that. So what they do, they, 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 they put a special tag on your bag, which says cabin guaranteed. And I was actually looking at the people. And so with that, you have a priority warning, right? I was looking and I was so curious, but I there was no way to figure out what happens if more than 50 people buy it. Because they say... That it's only uh, only fifty bags that, that can be taken on board. What happens if it's more? But the, there was no way for me to figure that out. It's still someone maybe from Transavia can comment on this. Do you have status with Air France KLM? Uh, no, not at the moment. The only one that they have status with is Lufthansa, and I'm having Stockholm syndrome with that airline. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like me and Peter. I. I Status then muddies the water even more, doesn't it? When when legacy carriers start implementing this unbundling, because I and especially when you have a Transavio, which I ostensibly a low cost carrier, not, you know, do you allow people with Air France KLM or even SkyTeam status to have that for free? Do you give it to certain fare buckets? I I know a lot of people whose job it is to figure this out. And I, you know, every day, and I don't envy them. I don't envy them to figure out all of these, you know, if, ands, and buts that to, to all of this, you know, complexity. Maybe if you have the Lufthansa sneakers, you have a special bundle that is being unlocked. You get to fly the plane. You're being leveled up when, when you enter the aircraft. You never know. I knew I should have bought those things. But yeah, but you know what? I have a, a parenthesis. I think I mentioned like five years. You remember they did a run um, only for employees? So they have a run that they are white sneakers by uh, Adidas with also the Lufthansa logo and this uh, yellow orange. Uh, I have them. I still have them. I wore them once, only once. <laughs> I forgot about that. I bought them off on eBay from an employee because, of course, they were not on sale. Anyway, um, Vueling, because that's exactly your example. I I haven't flown them for a while, but I don't think Vueling cares at all about your status on One World. 
uh, they're part of uh, one world. So basically, that's maybe the Transavia thing. They said, you know what? For us, you can be ultra platinum on whatever. You know what? You pay the, the premium package, whatever, or you don't. We don't care. Uh, which is uh, maybe one solution, which is sometimes a bit, um, again, confusing because if you were to buy from Iberia, sometimes uh, you're actually flying Vueling. And uh, even though people like us on this show, uh, we will probably check that because the, uh, which airline is actually flying? Yeah. Most people want and maybe they'll end up in a thing, think, oh, I have like, let's say, like bronze status so that should give me something that actually gives them um, nothing. And one more comment, it also requires to have a pretty solid IT. Alex is already smiling because, of course, I won't have time today about like biggest fuck up possible between Iberia and, uh, and BA on my latest flight. Even, and I'll just say that the seat number I had on one app, BA, which I bought the flight from, but I was flying in Iberia, the seat I had on Iberia app, they were different. And that went on for the entire duration until I actually boarded the aircraft. So they cannot, if these two systems cannot even agree on the seat I'm supposed to take, imagine how they can then not care about like the premium package who gives you access to the lounge, but not access to the fast track or whatever. It's impossible. Compare that to a Qatar. Uh, not that Qatar does these packages, but Qatar, if you've ever flown Qatar, you can do that as an experiment, guys. As soon as you scan, you know, your, your boarding pass to get to the jetty, to the jet bridge to enter the aircraft, you can check that your miles are, are there in your app. So automatically, wow, as you, yes, that. that's as, as crazily quickly that it is because they have a very solid system behind. So they probably could get away with having multiple tiers of packages, not that they want to, or at least I don't know, because they can actually do it. If you have something like BA, and I'm sorry because we keep bashing BA, but their IT is really like dire, you cannot do it. So it's nice to think about doing ancillaries and bundling ancillaries, which as you understood guys, we're not big fans of, but then you have to kind of being able to follow up in the back and they don't. Am I being unreasonable? No, you're not. I don't think so. I would. I mean, I I, would, you know, I want anybody to if you think I'm being unreasonable to to get in touch with us. But I just feel like it's gone too far. And I think actually, when Alexander got in touch about the whole booking of overhead bin thing, I think that's the moment I snapped and just flipped the table over <laughs> and said, "Enough! This is getting ridiculous." But if I am, if I'm missing some economical nuance to this or, or savings or, or something, I would love to be corrected. Please, anybody, tell me why I'm wrong. Maybe, Alexandra, let's move on because he's, uh, I mean, you can please comment if you'd like, but um, also for sake of time, uh, we understood pretty well in the past 20 minutes, Alex has said a few times that you're uh, not only an AV geek, but you also try things on purpose to see if they break or at least to try to understand them, which is very commendable because sometimes I'm just watching from the sidelines thinking this is not going to work, but I don't want to get involved. However, maybe now just to widen a little bit the, the horizon, though you can still mention uh, low-cost airlines as well. Uh, we always do that with guests to talk about fun experiences they have had in flights or bad experiences they have in flights or flights that they remember for a reason, maybe because they were a kid and that was very important. I know that one of the flights you're going to mention is JetBlue. We both flown JetBlue, Alex and I, from London. But you've done, and maybe you want to start with this one, you've done a very special flight. 
if you want to tell us a story. I've done a very special place. Actually, I'm a big fan of uh, JetBlue. Seriously, I feel like JetBlue has to pay for all the marketing that I'm doing for them because I keep mentioning JetBlue whenever I have a chance. But I honestly, I just love this airline. I didn't have so many experiences with them just because, of course, I live in Europe, right? So, But whenever I travel to the U.S., I always try to book JetBlue and I'm always impressed. And when I knew that they're starting this route from Amsterdam to GFK, I knew I have to be on that flight. So I booked myself a ticket and I booked it in Mint on the way there. And so it was an agro flight. Oh, wow. And on my way back, yeah, it was on the inaugural. Yeah, 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 it was inaugural. I really wanted to see it. And I, um, I'm also a, a part of a community called Ladies Beyond Flying, where women uh, in the industry support each other. So I actually do know general manager uh, JetBlue Maya, uh, Europe, general manager Europe Maya. I know her from that community, but I never was in person. And I said, oh my God, inaugural, I only seen like, cool uh, bloggers on YouTube do this. So I've been just picturing and imagining how I have, and I will collect all the material for my LinkedIn post. So I do quite a lot, as I said, yeah. So I bought myself a ticket for the inaugural, because of course it's inaugural, I have to be in me. And all the way in the back, in the core, uh, on my way back from JFK. So once the party is over, I can fly. Normal people in the economy, right? Uh, it was it was simply amazing. I really loved the flight. So I taken the train, and then I I had a layover in Amsterdam. So I stayed the night in Amsterdam, and on the next day I I, I was on that inaugural flight. It was a little celebration, some uh, balloons, but of course I had my observer hat all the time, and I was going through security um, and uh, I actually had to, to educate lady that Mint is how JetBlue calls business so I actually can go through priority screening not that I cared so much because screening was like it was pretty empty so I didn't care but again for the sake of experimenting I had to go through that and she actually pushed back and she said well JetBlue is not on the list here. It was a list of all the airlines. And I said, but they just started starting actually right now. That's going to be the slide. Uh, she, she let me in at the end. Uh, Dutch people, very nice people. So she let me in. But of course, I, then I mentioned it to, to Maya. Um, at the beginning, the, the, they cut the, the, the strike. Uh, ah? The ribbon. The ribbon. They called the ribbon. Exactly, exactly. So uh, Maya was there, uh, her team was there, uh, and it was amazing. I felt very special because the moment that she seen me, she was just so happy. I was actually surprised because I was very happy to see her, but I didn't expect that general manager Europe at JetBlue will be so happy to see me too. So she was just waving and they actually let me in. All the passengers were standing behind the gate, but they didn't even scan my boarding pass yet. I was already uh, like uh, there after the after the, the gate, 
and just talking to people. They were giving cupcakes uh, and uh, wooden tulips, wooden Dutch tulips. Uh, it was really, really nice. At the gate, when I when I when they started boarding, I've seen a really big dog, massive dog. It's, it's a support dog, I assume. And I am scared of dogs. Like I have a proper phobia of dogs. Like whenever I see a dog, even if it's a teeny tiny dog, I will be like, oh my god. When I seen that dog entering the plane and it was mint boarding, I was like, oh my god. So I said to my mom, I'm actually really scared of dogs. And she's like, okay, let me check. So the dog was in 3A and I was five something the opposite side. And I said, okay, it should be fine. It, it's a lovely dog, but it's not helping. You know, it's not helping when someone tells you it's a friendliest, loveliest dog. Like when you have this phobia, it's just there. I got on board. The crew is, is amazing. JetBlue crew is amazing. They came immediately to introduce themselves, that they will be taking care of me, serve some champagne. Really nice. They are very friendly, but it feels like they are not you know, sometimes people fake it and you could sense it. That they're actually, they don't mean it. But that's not the feeling that I have when I fly. I actually feel they care and they are really friendly that way. And what really surprised me is that cabin crew came to me and said, you know what, we heard that you are scared of dogs. The dog is sitting there. You know, it shouldn't be any of distraction to you because it's not good to walk around the cabinet to support dog. But if you want, we can move you. Well, I didn't even tell the crew, right? The only person that I told was Maya at the gate. So communication, such a basic thing, should be common, but it's a rarity this day still. You don't see it very often, right? So I didn't move from my seat. The flight itself was, was very nice and enjoyable and food Amazing foods. They have small plates you can order from the screen. Again, it's, technology is there, but you only see it on a very few airlines that you can actually order from the screen. It's not like someone is coming and writing down your order. I think it should be a normality these days with this technological development, but it's not. So whenever I see that, I'm very positively surprised. Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi for everyone. And it actually works. You can stream. You can watch. I was plotting, send, sending everyone pictures of me. The only thing that I felt a bit weird about is that it's herringbone. And that was the first time that I, I flew herringbone. And I, to be honest, I didn't expect that I'd get that funny feeling. Like, I, I didn't feel like that, but I, I don't know. I just didn't feel very comfortable, to be honest. I was looking all the time. Uh, try to look out of the window, but then you have to really turn your neck, and somehow my whole body felt like not comfortable. I really don't know how to describe it, but it took me a moment, you know, to, to realize that probably I shouldn't do this, and that was the first time for me flying herringbone. I, I don't know, guys, what, what's your experience? I think you're just being a, a true Av geek and you want to have access to the window as, as easily as possible. And when the seats yeah. are angled like they are on JetBlue and a few other airlines, it's true that it requires a bit of a... Uh, the window is there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. 
Alex, I think you agree as well. I mean, it's nice because yeah. it allows more seats and uh, long. I'm tall, so you know, it's nice because usually you can create more length. But yeah, get yeah. Yeah, I, I think it depends on how lucky you are with where your seat lines up with the windows. Because some, you're right. Sometimes you really are having to crane your neck, and it's a very uncomfortable feeling. But I, I do agree with you. I, I would much rather be able to just leisurely look out the window whenever I feel like it. Yeah. Without giving myself a hernia or neck <laughs> issues. <laughs> Do they have, by the way, I don't know if JetBlue has done that. Do they have the, the, the new overhead bins by Airbus or not yet? Do, do, have you noticed that? So, you know, we've talked about it before COVID. The one that you can put your... Yes. Like, I think so. So you can put the carry-on on, on its side. And so I yeah. have uh, Paolo, you, you've met Paolo, uh, Alex, has been recently on a flight. Yeah. I think it was Lisbon. I might be mistaken. Whether 320 Neo. And he says it's a game changer because the whole fight of having enough room in the aircraft is almost gone. Because in the one same sized uh, overhead bin, suddenly because you place all the, the carry-ons on their sides, you can double the number of, of, of uh, I say double, I don't have the exact number. Because that comes back to you guys about unbundling and booking your overhead bins. Just that would be great to have. And I'm sure Boeing will follow suit having their own solution for that. Because it's a lot of this is just a fight to have a freaking overhead bin. Something to place your bag, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like Alex at some point said, do you expect me just to not have clothes or something? You at least have a little bag. <laughs> yeah. So any other flights you want to... I'm sure there's 25 million flights that you've taken that you're very happy to discuss. Is there another flight that you have a good memory of that you maybe hated or? No, probably I would, I would mention the other flight that that was the first time that I flew in business on the upper deck of 747. And that is my absolute favorite aircraft. And we were landing from Tokyo, almost, almost touching the ground already. When we we went for the second uh, for the the, the fly oh, around, wow. yeah, oh, around. So it was a boarded, yeah. So it was a boarded landing. Was it Lufthansa? Yeah, exactly. But was it? Sorry to interrupt. Was it when we saw each other by complete accident in Tokyo in December 2019? No, that was before. Because I met yeah, for context, I've met her completely randomly. Like we haven't even yeah. like I'm in a bar and suddenly. So I knew she was in Japan, but we had not planned to see each other, whatever. We had never met, right? And I'm in this bar with, I think, Chris, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm having a beer, and suddenly she enters, and I'm like, just because of, I had seen your picture, I'm like, this this, this is Alex. Yeah. There's no way. And I went, are you? Yeah. That was just mind-boggling. Anyway, sorry. Go on with your turnaround with your 747. What are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds? Yeah. But, but that was just... And so we did the turnaround. And of course, like, acceleration. You hear all the sounds. And you'll be in the upper deck. Just like it's a roller coaster. And everyone around is just like, what is happening? What is happening? And I am the only one sitting there being happy that actually that this flight will last longer. And I'm educating people. This is called a boarded landing. Let's wait for the captain to tell us something. And everyone was like, what, what, what? Well, I, I, was, I was pretty sure it's going to be all right. I was more excited than, you know, scared or anything. Um, yeah, and then of course, uh, sec second second attempt we did land in Frankfurt. I had to do some serious running to my gate because that was the last 
I was about to catch the last flight to Berlin on that day. If I would miss it, I would need to stay in Frankfurt, not the place that I would want to stay another night. <laughs> so, and this day I had to run. And when I made it to the gate, the first question when I, when I entered the, the airplane, I was like, I was losing my, my breath. I was like, okay, yes, I made it here. Can you check if my bag also made it? Because I want my bag to be on that plane as well. And if my bag is not making it to that plane, like maybe I actually spend another night in Frankfurt. I don't want to deal with this, you know, when no. friends are delivering me a bag. Don't trust it so much. So, you know, my, my bag made it uh, there. So, all good, all good. That was uh, another memorable flight. You, you have something in common, I think, you, you two. Um, um, we can just touch briefly on that. Uh, I think you told me, Alexandra, that you had in the past fear of flying. Oh, yeah. So you, you went from fear of flying to, and I think Alex also had some fear of flying in, in his past, yeah, which yeah. is what I say. So you went, Alexandra, from fear of flying to now taking pictures of beer cans and uh, trying to game the system to see if your your luggage is in the right overhead bin that you've booked uh, with Condor. So it's a, it's a pretty nice journey you went there. Do you, do you still have slight anxiety in the back of your head or are you, were you able to completely make it away? I was able. I was able. When I was a kid, I was so scared of flying, especially takeoff. Every takeoff would give my parents really hard times because I would actually start crying very dramatically and say, oh my God, we're going to crash. See this and that. And I love you so much, but we got to cry. But the, 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 the weirdest part of it is that when we land, when we get home, I started watching Discovery Channel air crash investigations nonstop. So I, w I was glued to the screen. <laughs> I was so interested. I would know everything, everything about airplanes, about every disaster that happened. And I really would want to be on a plane. But I was so scared every time, especially takeoff. You know, everything else was... I was still scared a little, but takeoff... It was like mind blowing for me. And till very, very mature, like adult age, I was still scared of flying every time we would take off. I would, you know, count. And because I heard that the first five minutes or something like that are the most uh, critical part of the flight. So I would uh, listen to, to a song and I know when it tends, it's five, five minutes is over. It's like crazy. You know what? I, I would actually lose. Two kilos every time I fly. What? Like, and I and you see, I I don't have that much in me, so it was like, like a very stressful experience for me every time. But I still wanted to be on the plane. Once, once when I was eighteen, nineteen, I studied in South Korea, and we were flying from Tokyo. We were supposed to fly from uh, from Seoul to Tokyo. I got on the plane. We were. Already on the plane, we are in the runway already. So we are about to start takeoff, but then all systems went down. So complete silence, like phew, <sighs> engine screens, everything lights. And I'm just talking to myself. Well, it's just going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But in my mind, I already have, you know, this discovery channel. You know, how they start always those, uh, those episodes. Like my parents would sit there and say, you know, she was such a lovely 
rolling the rubber, you know, giving to you. <laughs> I, I had to be in my so weird in my mind. And I'm like, come down, it's okay, it's okay. And then the captain announcement, you know, we're just going to restart all the system. It's going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. Restart all the system. We are ready for takeoff. And then, again, silence, complete silence. Everything went down. And I'm like, this is a sign. I have to get off. And I'm calling the baron. I'm going to get off the plane. The cabin crew is like, what? I'm going to get on the plane, I'm not going to fly, we're going to crush, this is the sign, blah, 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 all this nonsense, you know? So actually, they had to call, Captain came out of the cockpit, introduced himself, he was very nice and very friendly and very kind. I would be so mad if I were him, but he was like telling me, I heard you want to get off this plane. I said, yes, because we're going to crush, no I have this feeling, this is a sign. He's like, yeah, but I'm responsible for this flight. I'm captain. I can assure you it's going to be fine. He said, no, no, no. If you think it's fine, you go fly. I'm going to get off this plane. They had to go back and uh, Incheon Airport is massive. Yeah. So they had to go back to the gate. And I checked in my small bag. So now I don't do this, but I used to do this when I was younger, checking every time I fly to check in the back. And they asked me, you checked in your bag. Do you want to wait for, for this bag outside or sit here? I said, well, I'm not flying, so I can sit here. They gave me warm water. I'm sitting there, sipping my water. And once they found my bag, I got off, I got off the plane. I arrived at my dormitory, student dormitory, and the first thing I opened my laptop, I'm like, air crushes, nothing in the news. Okay, uh, air crush, Seoul, Tokyo, nothing. I'm like, airline, disaster, <laughs> nothing. And I'm like, shit. So nothing happened, you know, nothing happened. And I think that was a turning point because I always loved Everything about airlines and about aviation. And actually when, you know, then later in my career, I decided to make a move from, from mobile app marketing to aviation industry. But that story you re- really struck in my mind. And I, I, I understood that I have to control it. And I love it so much. I cannot let my emotions run the show. But yeah, still every time I tell the story, people don't believe this happened, but it actually did. Wow. Was that the same story with you, Alex? <laughs> it is eerily familiar. Everything you said is so familiar to me. I mean, almost to the letter. Exactly the same for me. I had to get off an airplane. I already boarded it. I already pushed back from the gate. Yeah, yeah. You did that? I, wow. 100%, 100%, you know, I had the vaccination from birth. So, and actually I didn't have the fear until I was older in my teens. I think I've talked about the provenance of the fear before, but yeah, exactly the same. I don't know what steps you took to get over it, uh, but it, it's, um, it's not a small achievement uh, what you, what you got over. I mean, to go from what you've just described, which is, I don't even think that you would mind saying pretty extreme fear to where you are now or running these little social experiments on Condor, you know, it's, uh, it's like night day. So bravo to you for, for making that journey. But I can, if anybody can, you know, empathize as me. 
Wow. What was uh, Alexandra? Which airline was that? So we can acknowledge. Maybe the captain will remember you. No, I'm kidding. Which airline you was that? You know what? I actually don't remember. Oh. I I wish I remember, but I don't remember because. So actually, it was uh, from Seoul to Los Angeles with a stop in Tokyo. So it was a huge plane. It must be I don't know. It must be United or Delta. I'm Delta. Which year was it? You uh, like roughly? Do you know? Ten years I, ago. Well, I was nineteen. So no, don't tell your age. Don't tell your age. Oh, that's no, that's not okay, for the podcast. Okay. No, no, it was two thousand and nine. Yeah, two thousand and nine. Yes, it was two thousand nine. Was the transition from Northwest to Delta? So either one of which or or United? Yeah, it, maybe that could be it. Yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. I've never experienced. So I've experienced anxiety, but never fear. So for me, it's foreign. But listen to you guys, I can only admire you for having made that jump from having, a, I don't know, I'll call it irrational fear. I don't know if it's irrational, because it must have felt very rational for you when it happens. And maybe some people listening to us still have that fear to both being involved in travel and aviation somehow. So it's, uh, yeah, for me, it was not. So for me, it was, yeah, well, just like airplanes. But wow. It was a very long way, yeah. We will do, we had a plan just when uh, COVID broke, we had a plan to do, Alex knows, uh, an episode on fear of flying and to have a specialist in fear of flying. So we'll try to redo that at some point because this is a fascinating um, uh, topic to discuss. It's, it's, I think it's more, more people have fear of flying than we believe. Um, yeah. I think. Do you like your convenience stores, uh, um, Alexandra? I know that Alex. Alex, what is your favorite convenience store, Combini, in in Tokyo? Do you have one that your favorite? Yeah, it's hard. Eh? So kind of a toss up between family, well, family Mart and Lawson. Family Mart and Lawson. I think Family Mart. Alexandra, do you have a? I, I'm I'm not so picky. I have been to Japan just a few times, so any convenience store. They're all great. So Alex, look, um, both but you. Uh, this is from Magic Water. I asked him to do that. So Family Mart has released their own socks. <laughs> They're almost out of. You cannot find them anymore. So he had to do so. I see that on his story. So Matt Drinkwater was in Japan for nearly six weeks this summer after not having been since COVID, uh, first for work and then with his family. And at some point in his Instagram story, he posts this. Sorry, guys, you cannot see it. These are socks from Family Mart with the very famous colors, the checks of Family Mart. And I'm like, I need those. I say, yeah, I'm going to grab those. I say, I need the 28, say the biggest size because it's centimeters in Japan. He did, and I want to acknowledge that I think he did, it became a game with his daughters. He did, I think, uh, more than 30 family marts to finally being able to find them for me. So wow. I, I apparently provided some entertainment, but I want to thank you and uh, your family, um, Matt, uh, live on this show for having found me these socks. And now I hesitate even to open because that package is so neatly done. I, I, I just, yeah. Anyway. Uh, and also a quick shout out to Camille, a friend of mine that I've mentioned very often. He was at T3 yesterday here in Heathrow. He's going to Japan for, I think, three, four weeks uh, to Tokyo. And he was asking me, and Alex would have uh, uh, have the same reaction. He had never flown JAL before, usually go with BS. Paul, do you think, when he was booking, Paul, do you think JAL is a good airline? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, of course. <laughs> So he just landed. So I hope um, that was great, uh, Camille. Um, I should have said, by the way, we're recording the 18th of uh, October, uh, 2023. Uh, and he was, Camille, uh, thanks to you, Alex, he was, and to me, of course, and to many others. For the first time, he tried um, the Cathay Pacific Lounge at T3 and says it's probably the best lounge in the world. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> we, we yeah, I'm going uh, in two weeks. You're going to? Wow. 
Are you going to tell us at the end of the show where the, the next flights? I want yeah, to hear. Yeah. We want to hear, uh, Alejandro. We want to hear about Almaty because, as we said at the top of the show, yes, please. the chances that we are, I mean, we'll eventually probably get there. We travel less than before, sadly. There's less opportunities, especially now also with the crisis. But we'll end up going maybe simply uh, attaché for Alex and me just for doing my photography. It doesn't have to be a, a business reason. However, I'm very curious to hear about... Uh, the airport and maybe as well about Aristana because both uh, Alex and I pretty li we like Aristana it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty darn good airline yeah. we we like what they offer do you fly them and how do you find Almaty airport Aristana is amazing I really like them uh, Almaty airport not so much <laughs> I mean you would think it's a big hub for Aristana and you know um, actually Kazakhstan it's a very developed country, especially in, in the past years. It's developed a lot, right? So you would think Almaty would have a very good, solid airport, but that is not the case. It's, in its current state, it is quite bad. They are building, they are building a new airport, which is supposed to be much better, but currently it is very small. It's not very convenient. So you don't have Wi-Fi, you almost don't have any charging points. Uh, you have like one duty-free shop. Yeah, probably. That can two, be a blessing two. because sometimes having too many duty-free shops makes it for like, are they just trying to sell me stuff? Or <laughs> Yeah, but literally it's like a one big room. That's it. That is the entire international terminal. It's one huge waiting room. So it's not like, you know, uh, in Berlin or in London, you walk past uh, the airport and you see gates on the left and on the right, and every gate has a waiting area. Here it's very different. You go through security and it's a big hall uh, where everyone is waiting for their flight. That's it. Um, the lounge in Almaty is it's a remarkable lounge where you get in and you have you get zero things for free nothing you just get in and you have to pay for everything everything only if you slice few selected airlines you get water for free and you get the amazing buffet uh, by buffet, I mean like few snacks included, but that's it. Hold on. So it's not free access because they need to be able to say, oh, Alexandra, you've paid for it, but Alex, you have not. So hands off, hands off. Like if somebody is like slapping your hands when you try to go with a sandwich, how does it work? They're checking it. They're checking it. It's like it's a proper game. Oh, my God. Uh, to, to that buffet where they check in which airline you're flying. So actually, I flew Aerosana's uh, business in July, I believe, and it was amazing. To Istanbul on 321 Neo, amazing. My business last ticket included large access, and of course, I really wanted to check it out. I went there, and they told me, oh, okay, well, you don't have anything included. I said, yeah, well, I can at least get some water. Yeah, no, but water is also not included. So this is the first time that I, I have to I have to pay for everything. And I spent there five minutes and it was so quiet, like and silent. No one was talking. So I felt very uncomfortable and 
I I really didn't expect that I would, you know, prefer that massive waiting area to the lounge, but actually that's what happened. And then I said, I just know, but out of curiosity, which airlines, like, uh, they give access to free water and this amazing buffet, and Johansa was one of them. So at least something, you know, you get nice uh, flying Johansa out of Almaty. Um, <laughs> so the airport, the airport is, is not very modern, I would say, and it's very small. Uh, we only have two or three um, luggage belts. That's it. And they always mess it up. So I just arrived from Baku. Actually, it was there a sun as well. Uh, and I was waiting on the belt number one while uh, belt number two started. And it was on the screen. It was Istanbul, but somehow bags from Baku were there. So it was a big mess. And that is something new that they just introduced. And when you exit the airport, they have security. So they have green and uh, red corridors, as most airports do. But they have a dog there, a massive dog. Again. That is sniffing you. I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to stand there and I was just like almost shouting. I said, excuse me, like, I'm really, really, really scared of dogs. Like, you can literally open all my bags and search, but I will not go there if you have there a dog. And dog was just walking. So it was not unleashed. It was just walking there and sleeping everyone. But fortunately, the guy was, yeah, very understanding. He said, yeah, yeah, okay, I can give the dog. I think the dog is very smart as well and has very good senses if i would have something it would still smell it and start barking so that shouldn't be a problem so yeah almighty air force in its current state it's a little bit of a disappointment i would say well astana airport is pretty darn modern but of course the city has been invested a lot in the past 15 years so of course you'd expect the airport to be very recent so it's a very striking difference then because astana airport yeah. is nice you, you like it alex as well right I'm talking to you, Hunter. Do you like it as well? As the uh, yeah, yes, I do. Yeah, I do. I, I I like that that airport. I like that city. I like that airline. I'm actually pretty surprised about the uh, Almaty contract. But did you say that they are doing another airport? They are building. They are building, and I've seen it uh, out of my plane that you know the construction is ongoing. I don't know when, when, when the new terminal or is it going to be a new terminal or are they going to move completely? I don't know that, but uh, hopefully it will be open soon because, yeah, as I said, in its current state, it's really not keeping up to the level of development of Almaty as a city, Kazakhstan as a country, but also Erastana is really such a modern airline. You really, you know, I flew from Baku in the economy. And I was just so surprised with everything. I booked extra legroom for, um, it was 18 euro. I mean, you would pay on any European carrier. They would charge you 100 easily for that. I had such enormous legroom. They are giving amenity kits in economy on a three-hour flight, amenity kit. And it's a nice amenity kit with, you know, um, socks and everything, everything that you need. Sleepers as well, like three hours wide. 
They are serving you food. You, you have two options. Like when I look at Aristana, I am very proud to see how the airline developed because obviously I remember a very different airline. When I was a kid, it was very different, right? Uh, Air Kazakhstan and then Aristana. It was not so modern. They've done enormous job in to reinventing the airline. And when, but I'm also at the same time, I'm a bit sad living in Europe. I look at the state of European legacy carriers. And then I look at Aristana, which is still not so well known in the world. And this makes me like so sad. I really, I really wish, you know, European legacy carriers actually learn something from, from, from those newcomers. And, uh, yeah. Be more innovative, I guess. May you be heard. May you be heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, I will tell a story about uh, Iberia, which I, I just flown next time. It's not about airline. Don't 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 miss it. I was very happy to be in Madrid, one of my favorite cities in the world. Thank you for all the messages, Celine Madrid and other people too. I didn't reach out to anyone, not even Kobus, I'm so sorry. But yeah, there's stuff that you sometimes you're like this. Why do I keep going for like legacy carriers in brackets where I could actually have a, maybe a better experience with EasyJet? Anyway, I'll talk about that in a yeah. forthcoming episode because uh, we have lots of travels coming up. Talking about travel, you also mentioned that in the beginning of the show that you have uh, you're active on LinkedIn, so we'll get to that. But we mentioned in our I cannot remember in one of the previous episodes that you've launched a podcast as well. I think maybe you were like so tired of us telling you, yeah, you'll be on the podcast one day and we were never inviting you. So I might as well just do one. So uh, can you talk a little bit about that, the name of the podcast so that people can find uh, more about it? Yeah, absolutely. That exactly. That was the reason for us starting a podcast. <laughs> because I wanted to be a guest on your podcast, but I had to wait five years. So I thought I might as well start my own podcast and, you know, be a cool podcaster and invite you too. But this happened uh, sooner than you guys being guests of our podcast. Yeah, we, we do have a podcast. Um, I'm co-hosting with my, with my friend, uh, David, uh, who is living in Abu Dhabi and uh, working at the Abu Dhabi airport. Does he know the date of the opening of Midfield Terminal? Please, <laughs> David, reach out to me. I might fly. I'm hesitating flying Etihad for that only reason, like in November. Oh, really? Can I get to the new airport? Otherwise, uh, I'm not flying it. Not that I don't want to, but it's not the most convenient. So, David, reach out to me. Give me a hint of a date. I don't know, 1 4, 14th of November, is that it? Anyway, sorry, Alexandra, go on. So. We will we'll take it offline and see <laughs> what's possible. <laughs> and yeah, the, the, the podcast is called the Sky Lounge. And um, well, we are such an amateur like podcasters. We were talking about podcasts and working on the cover and thinking about the name for quite some time. And when we started the thinking process, Sky Lounge name was available. <laughs> when we actually finished the entire thing and recorded our first episode and wanted to upload it, we noticed that there is another Sky Lounge episode that starts in the meantime. Oh no. So yeah, it's Sky Lounge. If you, if you just uh, search in your uh, podcast uh, platform, just pay attention. It's Alex and David. Um, 
the co-host. And what I'll do this time, I promise, for all the people that usually bash me, with very good reason for me never putting anything in the show notes, I'll ask Alexandra to give me the name, the link of the podcast on on Google, on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and I'll put in there so you can directly on the show notes under your app right now, whichever it is, you can click uh, have the right one. We'll do that. Oh, super, super. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I, I think it's it's slightly different from uh, your podcast because we, we do interviews of um, yeah, you have people. Guests. Yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, we, we have guests. You don't just <laughs> promise, you actually have guests. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think we are just... I think we're just looking um, at things from more like an industry perspective, like, uh, I don't like saying professional perspective, but like, we're just not talking so much about trips, but actually we do interviews. So we have an interview of uh, Fly91 that just started. Yeah, we had the CEO. Um, we, We have some more coming up, hopefully someone from beyond soon. The new cool luxury airline of Maldives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if uh, if your audience will enjoy our podcast as much as they do yours, but uh, give it a try. And if you have any feedback, please also uh, let me know. Yes. So I, and I'm also on um, active, very active on LinkedIn. As I said, that's where I do post uh, quite a lot about my travels. As I said in the beginning, I wanted to be a travel blogger. I completely failed on Instagram, uh, but I actually do enjoy LinkedIn much more because it is very uh, professional. I could post about um, my observations, but also bring some personal touch. And, um, you know, I've been invested in this for a few years now. And when I started, you know, I would be super happy getting a few thousand impressions. In the beginning, a few hundred impressions on my post. Now, on average, I get 40,000, 50,000 um, on my good post, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a lot of work, but it's also very rewarding. Um, I was at the Aviation Festival in Lisbon a few weeks ago, and, you know, a few people just came to me and said, we don't know you, but we... We follow you on LinkedIn and we read your posts and they thank me for, for this. And that's exactly what motivates me to do what I do and, you know, go out of my way, flying Condor and uh, all the other crazy <laughs> things <laughs> that I'm normally doing. We will we will also encourage people to follow you on LinkedIn. I'll put a link to in the show notes as well so people can follow and, and follow you in your news. And by the way, I you mentioned earlier... Maya from JetBlue, I'm pretty much sure that when I did one, it was not the inaugural, but it was one of the first flights from Gatwick to New York. I put, which is rare for me, I put like two pictures because the, the cabin looks so amazing, you know, like blue and it like, yeah, and I was the first in the flight because I was in mid studio. I took a picture and I think now I'm pretty sure the memory rejigged that um, she retweeted or even commented on that. So I think there's the same Maya. So shout out to her if she listens to 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 this. Um, and yeah, so maybe to end with, uh, I want I hope that the sound will be fine. It's slightly different. We had some uh, all, every uh, all of us had some issues at the start. So we said you know, F it, we'll do it on Zoom for once, which will be slightly different in terms of sound. I hope it's acceptable for you guys, and we'll try to be back to our usual programming next time, whenever that is. Uh, so talking about next time, where are you flying next, Alexandra? What are your next flights? 
I don't know yet. Oh. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I am in Almaty now. I would need to go back. Eventually. But I don't Yeah, go back to, to Germany, to Berlin. But I usually, uh, as you might have understood, I usually pick some weird reading. So I don't know <laughs> how I will get there. Last time I flew to Istanbul with Arasana, did a night layover in the airport, tried this uh, hotel. Airside and I love you the next day with yeah. Lufthansa via Frankfurt. Don't ask me why I've done this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was booking last minute, so the only option was to redeem my miles. That was <laughs> that's what that's what I've done. So I don't know um, how I will get to Europe this time, but I'm sure there will be some, you know, uh, material for for my LinkedIn. <laughs> Exactly. I was about to say we'll find out on LinkedIn. So we'll we'll have to exactly. follow you to find out what uh, the, how did you how did you get back with some very creative uh, creative which we do less, Alex and I. So Alex, what are your next flight or flights? Do you have anything planned already? Yeah, in two weeks we're going to Helsinki. No, next week. Crap. Next week we're in Helsinki. Oh yeah, shit. I don't Finnair. know if I can make it. I can. Why did I say that on the podcast on record? Doesn't matter. We might. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you flying with? Uh, Finnair. Ah, uh, good. Ah, oh, good. That will be a nice experience. Uh, I'm flying also. Shit, is it already next week? You're right. Actually, like in ten days ish, I'm flying to New York. The way I'm gonna go there, it's very guys. It's like Alexandra. I do it for the podcast. I would have not chosen that route nor that airline. I mean, maybe that airline. I'll tell you once I've done it. But for the fact that. I want to have a different experience for once, and I want to be able to talk about it on the on the on the podcast. So I'm not going to tell you how I get, I will go there. So I'm flying for, to New York, and uh, so probably the next recording will be around that when we have both all done these flights. It will be a bit of a backlog. Backlog, as you understood, Alexandra, we always have backlogs of stuff to say. Uh, my Iberia, I think Alex, he, which one did you make recently that you, you want yeah, to? Yeah, easy to roads here. Yeah, road. Oh, how was the road? Oh, thank you. Thank you for saving the Greek economy uh, by going there. Pleasure. Yeah, the, yeah, because roads are the very interesting features in terms of the traffic. So we'll talk about that as well. And I will have my own rent and it's going to be surprising for many because usually it's an airline I only like. A big negative rant about Emirates, uh, maybe in the yeah. next episode. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It's been a shambles and disaster, and uh, to the point I was staying, of course, out of rage. I'm never going to fly them again. Uh, I probably will, uh, but yeah, the world of flying has changed a little bit, and I will address that in the next episode. Alexandra, thank you so, so, thank so you. much for having done this. I know that... Uh, I need to almost apologize for having uh, waited for so long to invite you. So thank you so much for having come. And um, well, I will listen to you in your, ne in your next podcast, right? Me too. No, absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. I'm, uh, I'm very happy to be your guest. Finally, and actually, I'm thinking this is the second time in my life that I have this reading. The first time was that my favorite TV show is Sex in the City. And when I was in New York for the first time, and I've seen Sarah Jessica Parker, Chelsea Market, that's, that's exactly that I'm, <laughs> the feeling that I'm having now, you know? Layovers is my favorite podcast, and I'm a guest on your podcast. That's exactly the feeling. So thank wow. you so much, guys. And uh, yeah, until next time. Yeah, let me run the, the music. We can talk over it, and then we'll finish. 
I accidentally brought the, the cat because I thought Paul, you're gonna have a cat as well. And so, if your boss huh? have a cat, you guys didn't have one. So, I said, I don't want to be I don't have my cap with me. It's not in the same room. With it. No, I don't have any caps today. But Sorry. Those uh, cool pictures and cool pictures. You have a cap, so I saw. Let me try to take a screenshot of that, you guys. Smile for the <laughs> smile for the. <laughs> and I'll take a picture as well. You see a plate? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah! Look at that. <laughs> see. Guys, we're taking selfies whilst the music is running. It's not very interesting content for you guys. Thank you so much. Again, sorry for the sound. If it's going to be a little bit different, I'll have to work on it. Uh, and see you next time. Happy flying. Safe travel, guys. Bye, Frank. <laughs>